Good morning to you all. And we've spoken enough about summer and uh, the lack of summer and the lack of sunshine. And okay, we're getting depressed. We'll get off that subject. I am so happy you're here this morning. And the reason I'm happy you're here is because I am absolutely convinced as I study the scriptures that God causes us to grow when we're in community. And sometimes we can drive each other bonkers. Sometimes we can hurt each other. But this is where God wants you to grow. And I want to challenge you this morning. I'm going to be straight up and blunt. At the start of my message, there is a move that says, church is something I do if there's nothing better to do. And the better to do is getting bigger and bigger, isn't it? You know, there's a breakfast down sale down at whatever store, or, or well, my kids got a little bit of a sniffles. Fight against it. Friends, we are better together. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, as we wrap up the book of Acts, my prayer this morning is that the sort of theme, the overriding theme, and especially the concluding sentences. God, would you use your Holy Spirit and the scripture to really stir us as a church? In essence, God, I'm saying, stir us as individuals. And there's so many of us with that hurt and pain in our souls from our fellow Christians. God, would you minister to and heal those pains and hurts? Would you help us to be forgiving and loving and selfless, investing in others as we've just seen Rhea committing to do, to go invest in others? So God, as we read your word today, let it be powerful. May it be impactful. May we open up our hands and hear what you have to say. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Now I've been, and I recognize that it's very fortunate to grow up, and I've kind of run into a lot of the giants of faith in the Alliance denomination and even some others, but I, where I grew up in Fort St. John, I grew up at the airport, and across the street from me, and I found this out years later from a guy by the name of Al Forthner, across the street from me, was a family, and the lady in the family, they were the, uh, the Hamiltons, no, the Pomeroys, sorry. Uh, they were the Pomeroys, and the lady, the wife, who's long since passed, she'd be 130 now, but she's long since passed, she told me along the way that when I moved next door, she began to pray for me. And you can't believe the story that I, if I had time to tell you, that God orchestrated in my life to get me here. Friends, start praying for your neighbors. That very same lady is the one that invited Al Forthner, who was a district superintendent in the Alliance, up to Fort St. John to meet with a small group of people to talk about planting a church in that sort of renegade, renegade off the beaten path, little bit red, well, a lot redneck town. And Elf told me the story, and I had no idea. Elf did my wedding for my wife and I. He was at Seven Oaks Alliance where I was attending. I used to go to young adults that he led as a senior retired pastor. 
I had no idea who this guy was, but I would coffee with him all the time, and he would tell me stories. I am also privileged because I married my wife, Carolyn Harder, who is now Bulmer. Her mom and dad were missionaries in Ecuador, which is cool in and of itself. My wife's great-grandfather was a missionary in China with Hudson Taylor. I have a trunk, a steamer trunk, that he took to China. And so I go, this is really cool, and I'm just a nobody, and I get to go into all this stuff. Carolyn's mom and dad, this is where it even gets more exciting. Carolyn's mom and dad, my wife's mom and dad, were in the revivals in Saskatoon from 1971 to 1973. I heard story after story after story for years about the revivals in Saskatoon. And I was told how the Satara twins oh, by the way, they're Alliance people, went to the Baptist church. I mean, God loves to do these things. And it was only supposed to be for a week and it lasted for months. And the revival went on for years. And the stories my father-in-law told me of how people would, would just kind of feel randomly compelled to come to a meeting. And before they knew it, they were, they were standing up and confessing their sins. And, and I was going to read at the very end a little bit of an article. And, and I just get chills thinking about it. I have been so privileged to be a part of a lot of different groups of seeing God at work. Rhea said it. Hythe, Beaver Lodge, Grand Prairie Alliance. Now we're sending somebody back to Hythe. God is incredible. God's on the move. God's at work. And the only thing he's missing, and this I'm going to ask God when he gets to heaven. I'm going to ask him, why in the world did you limit your work to us? And don't get me wrong, God's all powerful. But for whatever reason, he has chosen us as his ambassadors. He's chosen us to share the good news to our neighbors. I mean, I wished he would just write it in the sky. When I was in Florida, I saw a plane writing in the sky, Jesus loves you, and at first I didn't see the airplane. I was going, okay, is, the re- like, is Jesus coming back? Am I gonna hear trumpets? Because why wouldn't God do that? But he is choosing to use us. In other words, there's a lot at stake for you and me. I was doing the funeral yesterday and I was riding with one of the people from Oliver's Funeral Home and we began to talk about how things seem to be on a little bit of a change right now. Some very good changes, don't get me wrong. There's lots of good change. But there is this change that's kind of come about that it's all about me. We used to actually hear the golden rule. Does anybody even remember the golden rule? Yeah, do unto others as you would have them do to yourself. We, we don't hear that anymore. I mean, the influence of the gospel and the church and the Bible and the Holy Spirit seems to be waning, although we have bigger churches. The percentages are declining, and I am convinced that is not God's plan. And I have been in circles to see what God can do. God has never stopped being on the move. He continues to draw people to himself. He continues to use ordinary people to expand the light, to push out the darkness. So don't let the darkness trick you or befuddle you or confuse you. God is pushing it back. And the gates of hell will not stand against it. 
Now as we go back into the book of Acts, I need to explain, because I didn't last Sunday, we jumped over a bunch of chapters, the reason is I've run out of time, (laughs) and so I kind of cherry-picked a bit, and we're literally at the very last chapter this week. And so if you can turn to the last chapter of Acts, and we'll be starting chapter 28, verse 17. But before I get there, I just want to lay a little bit of groundwork for this conclusion. Now you might remember as we started the book of Acts, Dr. Luke, yes, Dr. Luke, medical Dr. Luke, wrote the book of Luke. And the book of Acts, as far as we can tell by every likeness and the descriptions, is the sequel. You think the movie industry knew how to do sequels? Well, Luke had a sequel way back then. And the book of Acts is a carry-on of Luke. In Luke chapter 24 then, the guy who wrote Acts, in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Luke writes these words. It's laying a foundation for the end today. I am going to send you, Jesus said, what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with the power from on high. Now, a lot of people, and I want to always correct this, if you think I'm against Bible knowledge and theology, I am not. But sometimes that becomes, in fact, I just had somebody this morning describing to me how they went through catechism and they weren't even saved, but they knew theology and they knew their Bibles and they weren't even saved. The component they were missing was the relationship. I have seen people that get rid of theology and Bible knowledge and it's all just about a relationship with God and both ways are dangerous. It's both and, it's not either or. And many of us have moved into, for our hurts and pains and experiences, into this dry as toast Christianity. We know theology. In fact, we know the Bible. When we read it, we have been taught how to parse the Greek or the Hebrew. We've been taught how to do word studies. We've been taught how to pick out the themes and the points, and then we somehow try to apply it, not understanding Not understanding that God wants a relationship with you. When the word says of itself, it is live and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. Do we understand that God, when you read the word, is talking? Oh yes, theologically you know that, biblically you know that. But do you actually take a posture of saying, God, what do you want to say to me today in the word? Whenever I'm preparing a sermon, quite often on the front pew I'm going, oh gee, I haven't really let you speak to me about this, so speak to me now. So in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter one, do you remember the very first thing that happened? Understanding Luke said the Holy Spirit, don't do anything, and especially if you read John, in John chapter 14 and 15, the vine and the branches, John gives a warning in verse 14 even. And we're supposed to wait till the Holy Spirit comes into us and the Holy Spirit's gonna give us power. So we get to Acts chapter one, and really quick, before we get eight verses in, before we even get a paragraph or two in, it is really clear the Holy Spirit shows up. And the Holy Spirit really is the theme of the book of Acts. Do you wanna know what another theme is? Individuals listening to the Holy Spirit. You cannot separate 
a relationship with God. You cannot create a church that's just doctrine and theologically sound without a relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And I have shamefully been preaching for 30 years and I have been kind of afraid of and neglecting this whole concept that God speaks today, that he can speak in dreams. Oh, I maybe would say, oh, I had this dream and it kind of led me here or there. Uh, I would kind of slide around it a little bit. God speaks to us in actual words. He speaks to us in pictures. He speaks to us in visions. And many of us got excited about it in our early Christianity and, and then we didn't quite hear straight or, or something went sideways. Remember a couple of Sundays ago I said, it's really simple. You either misheard God or God wanted you to go through what you went through or you really did hear God. And we start to move into that doctrine and theology and Bible knowledge way and we stop hearing the voice of God. And I wanna challenge you as a church, changing hearts, changing lives, I want to challenge you. I want you to start hearing his voice a lot. And next week, we're going to start it, and we're going to go into a big time. And we've had a lot of people sign up, but if you haven't signed up, I want to encourage you to talk to Pastor Wes. These six lessons are so foundational. And I love what these hearing God and some of the other stuff we're going to be going to change hearts, change lives, our soul care from the Alliance. What is happening is we're kind of taking the best of Saskatoon's 1971 revival with the Satara twins where there was repentance and there was openness. And we're moving it along into some of Neil Anderson's Freedom in Christ stuff and we're having a set free in January. And in we, April, when we do our soul care, that's super powerful too because we start to uncover and reveal the lies we believed and the wounds that we have, and we take them to the Lord for healing. And even a lot of people deal with a lot of demonic stuff that they are surprised is actually influencing them. Oh, that's the longest introduction ever. I've got to get moving. Acts chapter 1. I mean, Acts chapter 28, verse 17. See, I'm so excited. We could start it over again. It would be just exciting. Acts chapter 28, verse 17, and we're going to see at this point, so just to get some background, uh, Paul is still a prisoner. We ended off well the last Sunday, but Paul is still a prisoner, and to give you just a little bit of background, he is going to Rome to appeal to Caesar because the Romans in Jerusalem didn't find him guilty, but the Jews wouldn't let him off the hook. They accused him of all sorts of things, blasphemy being one of them, and so he was going to Rome to appeal to Caesar. He was a Roman citizen, he had that right. And as he shows up in Rome, and it's almost like a Supreme Court appeal, he is there for two years waiting to see Caesar, and in that two-year period, according to their law, your accusers actually had to come and present a case to Caesar against you. And you're going to see that kind of unfold. And so Paul shows up in Rome. Some Christians actually meet him at the entrance to the city. So his reputation preceded him. And it really encourages Paul that they do. And Paul is put under house arrest. He rents a little place. Uh, one commentary I read said it could have been just in a, in a little bit of a, a kind of like a bar with a room upstairs. But he rents a place and he has one guard guarding him. That's it. 
It's not even an ankle, ankle bracelet or anything. I mean, he gets a lot of freedom and he can do a lot of things. So then we get to verse 17. He's set up in Rome. He's rented his own place. Verse 17, he says, and understand, Paul is leveraging his bad situation. He's leveraging his connections. Listen to what happens. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. Remember, he's appealing to Rome. He's a Roman citizen. He's leveraging his connections. He is fully a Jewish man. So three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. And when they had assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, do you remember he even had his assistant circumcised? He was very careful reaching the Jews that he still was kind of going through the motions to not create any barriers or walls for them coming to Christ. My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews, however, in this case, objected. So I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge, in other words, against the Jews. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the, and he's setting them up, it is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. In my head, he's probably thinking back to a verse like Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 talks about Jesus. It talks about uh, uh, the, the scars that Jesus received on his back. It talks about uh, that, that those punishments that Jesus received that bring us peace. And I'm sure that's what he's thinking. He's, he's setting them up. How many of you are on LinkedIn? Nobody's in LinkedIn, nobody's a person. Some of you are my friends in LinkedIn. So I know there's a few of you. Yeah, yeah, I use it about as much as that too. Every once in a while I get an email and go, oh, that's cool, Dan's on LinkedIn. Why do we hook up with LinkedIn? It's a business thing, by the way. It's trying to make connections. And LinkedIn is constantly trying to pull me into the vortex of other pastors. And when I signed in, this was my thought, I thought, I may sometimes need those connections. What if a church fires me? What if I need a new job? At least I'll know somebody somewhere, someplace. And they'll remember me maybe. And so we are not afraid, by the way, to use that kind of connection, especially if you're trying to sell something, you're trying to start something new. We have no problem. Now let me tell you a little bit of my history. When I first started getting serious about my Christianity in high school, my dad came down on me really hard. He did not react well. My dad had a story. He grew up in Hythe. And he saw the Alliance Church people and the Catholic Church people seemed to be fighting. Mostly his mom was a very devout Catholic and uh, some Catholics were getting saved and going over to the Alliance Church. So he really didn't like the Alliance. And he told me in not so uncertain terms so I remember it was about a year or so later I was getting a ride on a bus and I don't remember where I was going and I always, since I was an early Christian, hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit, I've always wanted to say, okay, 
should I share with this guy beside me? And it didn't take long, and he began to ask me questions. And I told him I was a follower of Jesus Christ. The guy almost choked me. He spewed out venom and hatred and blasphemy and swearing, and he actually even slightly hit me. Like, it, it was bad. I mean, I had to change seats. So my dad's experience who, oh, oh, by the way, and this probably didn't help, when I was in Bible college, I wrote my parents a letter that they needed to get saved. I probably should have talked to them in person. Uh, we just didn't talk about Christianity for a long time. And it took me years to heal that kind of stuff, but I want to be honest, that shut me down. Oh, I would sign into LinkedIn to make connections. I would leverage everything I could for my own personal gain, but I was terrified of sharing Jesus with others. I was terrified of sharing Jesus with others. At one point in my life, I worked for a cement plant in Calgary. I, we actually made the seats for the saddle dome, uh, like the cement stuff, and it's weird they're going to tear it down now. That's how old I am. Wow, I built something, and they're going to tear it down now. Uh, we built a bridge, some bridge supports. Uh, when I was there, I, I was still trying to get over this fear of sharing the gospel, and I started to share with my coworkers that I was a Christian. I had a couple of coworkers that just turned on me like you could. They were nasty. They were mean. They did everything to make me look bad. And it was all because I was a follower of Christ. So it just kind of reinforced everything I thought. But here's what happened. For whatever reason, the foreman, and I don't even know to this day his story, he thought I was a great guy. Well, I was trying to work for Jesus. So I actually got to work and I came to work to work. And it wasn't long before I was promoted and I was promoted on a shift where only this foreman was for the first four or five hours of the morning. I actually had to get up at four in the morning, which wasn't good for an 18-year-old or 19-year-old. But I remember in those early wee mornings, this guy kept asking me questions. And I have since started to understand this principle. Whenever anybody asks you even the slightest question, the Holy Spirit's at work. And so that's one of the tells, by the way, that the Holy Spirit is there and wants you to share. When people start asking questions, understand there might be a human reaction, but the Holy Spirit is at work. Acts chapter 28, verse 21. So you might remember, Paul tells this whole story, that it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm bound with these chains. They replied, verse 21, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. And I love this, Holy Spirit showing up. But we want to hear what your views are. For we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. This is Isaiah 53 stuff. 
He was trying to show how Jesus and his forecasted birth was woven all through scriptures and that Jesus was who he said he was. And I love this text. It says he argued with them from morning, noon to night. Well, in our society, we have about a, what is it, about a 30-second attention span, I'm told. And I think us who like to convince others, although some of us, <clears throat> Rod, likes to talk. No, I like to talk more than Rod, so I point the fingers at myself. Not very many of us would be able to argue very much. Because our Christianity is a little bit shallow. Oh, we might be able to come up with a little doctrine and theology, which is some of what he was arguing. But most of us, morning, noon, and night, wow. Paul was on fire. This guy listened to the Holy Spirit and he knew his stuff. Now, I do have one advantage over you in conversation with people. I, by the way, never tell people I'm a pastor. Well, once they ask, I do. The reason I don't is because as soon as I say I'm a pastor, walls, they don't say a word. Whether they're angry at pastors, I don't know. Whether they're afraid of pastors, I don't know. But it, it just goes. So I never say I'm a pastor. And what I try to do, uh, you're never going to get anywhere with argument, by the way, until people know you love them. So I do my best. And, and don't get me wrong, I don't like kick back a dozen beer to show them that I'm human, but I try to talk like just a normal human being, you know, yeah, I didn't sleep well last night, and I try to talk to them, and you know, life sometimes can be hard, I just bought a car, and I had, you know, flat tires, and you know, but it worked out okay, I found this garage, and you know, I just try, and then they inevitably, and this is where the Holy Spirit shows up, they'll go, what do you do for a living? Sometimes they even preface it and say, please do not shut down. And I'm sure they're going, like, is he a drug dealer, or what is he? And I go, I'm a pastor. Oh, sorry, Father. And it's usually what they say to me. I just go with it. And then I wait. I want to see if the Holy Spirit's really at work. And after I say a pastor, I wait. And this is when you for sure know the Holy Spirit's at work. They go, so what do you do as a pastor? Or what does your church believe? Just like this scenario. All, all I'm trying to say, guys, is let's open up our eyes. Let's pay attention to where God's at work. Let's start hearing the Holy Spirit inside of us, who the scriptures describe in John 14 as our counselor, as the one who's going to give you boldness and authority and power. This is incredible stuff. Verse 24, it, it really starts to reveal this kind of God at work and the flesh at work. Verse 24 says, some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. Let me ask you, is it your responsibility to get people to believe in Christ? No. It is not. But when the Holy Spirit is at work and, and when you are supposed to share and tell people what you believe and what you don't believe... You're supposed to share and wait for the Holy Spirit to finish it off. Some were convinced, and others would not believe. In the end of the day, God, in his knowledge, draws some, and others reject him. 
I told you the story, Rabbi Zacharias. I got to have a one week of classes with the guy before he was famous. And there was only about four or five students, so for a whole week of classes with this guy, and he was just confounding us with his wisdom and Bible knowledge, and we were so loving, and it came right to Friday, and one of the, my classmates looked at him and said, Rabbi, have you ever argued anybody into the kingdom of God? <coughs> and Rabbi said, not a one. He said, something mysterious takes place because he, he said, understand, it's the Holy Spirit that's at work and some place along the way, a, a switch flips inside of people. I, he said, I can almost see it in their eyes. And all the other questions and concerns begins to drop away and they suddenly want to receive Jesus. Now because of a reaction my dad gave me in the beginning and, and that reaction on the bus... I became super passive, and it's been a lifetime at work to begin to be more aggressive and to listen to the Holy Spirit. Now, the Apostle Paul, listening to the Holy Spirit, we know that even handkerchiefs that he touched would heal people. By the way, that doesn't give license for me to say, come bring your handkerchiefs and let them touch me and take them home and you'll be healed. That's not what the text says. Some people like to use it for that, but that's not what it says. But Paul was such a godly man who had a relationship with the Father. The Holy Spirit spoke to him. Listen to what he says to the, remember, some rejected. Verse 25. They disagreed amongst themselves and began to leave after Paul had made his final statement. Here comes the final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, therefore, literally the, almost the second last verse in the book, therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. It doesn't say he stopped trying to reach the Jews. I believe Paul probably kept doing that. But he understood very clearly that the obstinateness, and especially when you read in the book of Romans, that because the Jews kind of weren't listening, weren't comprehending, weren't hearing, and, and even the book of Romans seems to imply that God kind of hardened their hearts. They're God's chosen people. But for a time, we Gentiles are receiving the gospel. Paul's warning reminds me of a parable Jesus told in Matthew 22. Do you remember the parable? It's one where the king has a son getting married. And he invites a bunch of noble people to come and all of them say they're not coming. So in a little bit of an anger moment, the king says to his servants, go out into the streets and invite absolutely everybody. You see, this is so prophetic what Jesus was trying to say that the Jews have been invited to the banquet table. And by the way, the Jews now seem to be starting to flip in understanding Jesus. And many through Jews for Jesus are coming to faith in Christ. And I believe it is a sign that the end is near. When the Jews start believing in Jesus, that, that hardening of heart is kind of falling away. And so I'm just giving you a little warning. The time is short. 
So in this whole situation, Paul's arrested, he goes to Rome, he's got to appeal to Caesar, and he makes the best of a really bad situation. He leverages the things that he can, not to get a job, not to get money, but to be able to tell people, to let the Holy Spirit work, to tell people about the Savior. When you read Jesus' parable of the seed sown on the four kinds of soil, some of that soil is the guy in the bus, some of that soil was my father, who, by the way, years later, it was a whole different situation. Why would we get upset then? Some people aren't just ready. Listen to the Holy Spirit. As you're going about the byways and highways of life, listen to the Holy Spirit. Should I listen to what the people are saying, the questions they're asking? And some of them will get angry and just reject the gospel, and that's okay. Some will seem to be really interested. Some might even come to church, and then they will fall away with the worries and concerns of this world. You need to understand that hearing God increases boldness and opens open doors. When we start hearing his voice, it opens doors. The last few verses say this. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ and listened to these last kicker words in the entire book of Acts with all boldness and without hindrance. That's Holy Spirit work, friends. And I don't think the Holy Spirit's changed at all. And I believe our culture is coming so unglued. We have tried to normalize sin that we know right well from the scriptures that when we are living in sin, I know when I live in sin what it does to my soul. We have not been created for sin. We have been created for a connection relationship with God for righteousness And God has sent his son so that we can move into that righteousness. And when the society normalized sin more and more and more, and you know all the things you could think of, this society always has been, but more and more and more it's normalizing sin. There's a lot of people that are just with a lot of darkness and a lot of hurt. Suicide is just ramping up. Our society desperately needs Jesus. And we are going to make an impact if we start listening to the Holy Spirit. I want to end with this, and it's a long story, and I'm sure we're really over time. I picked this up off of uh, a website, and I forget the name of it right off the top of my head. You can ask me later, and I'll tell you. But it it begins to talk about Walter Bolt. This is another cool thing. I've had Walter Bolt in my living room. I, I kind of, we, Walter Bolt is actually related to somebody in our congregation. Now, he's passed away. But uh, his wife is related to somebody else in her congregation. Her sister, Walter Bolt's sister, attends our church for years. So I've been so privileged to be able to get to know these guys. So as Reverend Walter Bolt reviewed, reviewed the decade of ministry at University Drive Alliance Church, now Circle Drive Alliance Church, that began in 1960. Now, if you didn't know that before that, he was in Dawson Creek. That's cool. He had much to be thankful for. Yet as a visionary, when he looked at 1970 and the beginning of a new decade, he knew that there was more to be done. At a joint meeting of the two boards, we used to have elders boards and deacons boards in the alliance, at a meeting of the two boards of the church, he asked, what would happen if we decided to reach this city for Jesus Christ? 
The response was that the church would need first to have a revival. Once revived, the church family would be ready for full commitment. And involvement in the spreading of the gospel through home Bible studies and effective witnessing in the community. With this awareness of the need for revival, the church moved into the programs of the decade ahead. Sometime later, oh, and this gets really dark, you gotta listen, Walter contacted the Satara twins, who had already held two crusades at University Drive Alliance Church, hoping that they would agree to come again. They replied to Walter, that Reverend Bill McLeod, now if you don't know who that is, that's the Baptist guy in Saskatoon, Reverend Bill McLeod had already scheduled them for a crusade at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Saskatoon. Now listen to Walter's reaction. With that information in mind, Walter arranged a series of meetings that would be beneficial to his congregation to run simultaneously with the Baptist crusade. J. Allen Peterson agreed to conduct a family series during the crusade. Immediately following the Family Life series, University Drive Alliance would hold their annual missionary convention. Do you think Walter was struggling a little bit with a little jealousy? He intended to provide such good programs for his congregation that they would not attend the crusade. However, or sometimes the scripture will say, but God... However, some members did not attend, and reports that, however, some members did attend the Baptist crusade, and reports that God was working in the crusade began to surface. Walter wondered if he was depriving his people, Walter began to wonder if he was depriving his people, now where did I, lost my spot, of a special work of God. After an intense personal struggle, he called a meeting of his elders to propose that they do something never before done in 41 years of this church. They canceled their missionary convention, and the board agreed. The decision by the leaders of University Drive to support the crusade released other congregations to also support. The crusade moved to the Alliance Church. When St. Timothy's Anglican Church, which seated 600 people, could not contain the crowds. On the first night of the meetings at University Drive, Walter sat in the balcony as an observer. He saw nothing that impressed him, but God was at work. When the preacher was praying after the invitation had been concluded, Walter walked to the front. He was not there to minister to others. He had come to recommit his life to God. His recommitment led to a public plea for the forgiveness at a pastor's luncheon the following day. The response, was, the response was not expected. Pastors shared their own spiritual needs. They wept and prayed together. God was reviving the pastors of Saskatoon. With the revived pastoral team, revival came in great measure. Repentance became a common aspect of nightly meetings. People then made things right with people, with businesses that they had wronged. I have talked to people that did that. They actually brought cash to the businesses after they were in one of the meetings. A medical doctor who was a member at University Drive Alliance watched us night after night. His patients walked to the front of the church. Knowing that disharmony had caused the physical problems that they came to his office about, he would whisper to his wife, well, I guess I won't be seeing them in my office anymore. With relationships restored, he knew they would no longer need his services. Reverend Orthner mentioned that I know him. Well, I knew him. The district superintendent wrote, 
The Sunday morning service at University Drive Alliance Church was packed out, and there was no preaching. (gasps) People were confessing and testifying, and it lasted until 4 o'clock in the morning without a break. At Westgate Alliance, the pastor said he had never seen so many tears shed in his life. When they could no longer contain the crowds at University Drive, they moved the meetings to Third Avenue United Church, a united church nonetheless. Can you believe it? And that that church held 1,600 people. The facilities at University Drive continued to be used for afterglow meetings. My father-in-law told me stories, and it was so cool. These afterglow meetings that followed the evening services. These sessions were times of sharing and prayer. Everyone who had a need could kneel at the chair in the center of the circle of chairs, and others gathered around them to pray. The afterglows often continued until 3 a.m., And even later, my father-in-law testified to that. These afterglows were the beginning of a committed walk with God for hundreds of people. One couple who had broken their marriage vows wanted to be married again for a new start. Walter performed the private ceremony and presented them with a certificate that indicated the witness to be the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The crusade had been scheduled for 12 days. The final service on November 10, 28th, was seven weeks after the first meeting. When the crusade was over, they held a meeting at University Drive Alliance Church for all those who had made decisions during the meetings. 800 people attended. Friends, revival starts with each one of us. It starts with us hearing God. It starts with us watching what he's about and what he's doing. It starts with us repenting and letting him lead us. Our Changing Hearts and Changing Lives campaign, friends, is a continuation of the intentional life-changing relationships. Over the coming years, combining the Satara Twins revival methods and combining that freedom in Christ stuff, we have already had people transformed. We've had over 40 people, and I want to explain some details about this, have gone to a set-free weekend. And this is where, when I describe to you, you're going to freak right out. And when I told my wife, when other people on the elders board and staff heard, they were freaked right out. What they do in the set-free weekend is they present one of the points of set-free, and then you break into a triad. Can you imagine? a group of three strangers, and you actually confess your sins of what you've just gone through to each other. Only one person out of all the people that I've seen go through that had a bad experience. The introverts, the extremely shy people, all of them came away with something changed in their hearts. I am convinced the journey that we're on, starting next Sunday with hearing God, is the most exciting thing I have seen as a pastor. Would you try to be with us? Would you speak to God this week? I mean, if you don't go see Pastor West to sign up, uh, just maybe give the church a call. In January, we'll have our own set-free weekend. And I want to say, friends, revival begins with us. It begins with you. Here's my conclusion of my incredibly long sermon. 
on the last book of Acts. Remember, it started with the Holy Spirit and it ended with Paul in obedience, doing what the Holy Spirit told him. In conclusion, number one, it's time to lay down our excuses. It's time to, I, I, I know you've got a story just like I do. And God is growing me through healing of my hurts and experiences that I can become more like Jesus. The Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Oh, I wished I could have that. Did you read those last verses? Those last words are, are just so incredibly exciting. My goodness, I just talked a lot, apparently. With all boldness and without hindrance. With all boldness and without hindrance. There's a lot of us that just have a lot of stories and a lot of pain, and God wants to work there. It's time to be Holy Spirit-led people. The Holy Spirit's been given. He's our counselor. He's the one that gives us power. He's inside of us. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. What is going on with the church? Why are we so timid and so afraid? Can you imagine being as bold as what Paul did? Ever hearing or ever hearing and, and never listening, uh, getting the story told. And so I'm going to go somebody else now. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father. I am convinced that our changing hearts and changing lives is a beautiful mix of Satera twins, freedom in Christ, discipleship, and, uh, and God, I have seen, oh, my board of elders, uh, we have been on a journey, and, and the excitement in the room when we meet together is palpable. Uh, God, when we, we start off our meetings in triads and we confess our sins to one another and, and then we hear from you, God, and, and we come into that meeting, oh, it could still be tough. The flesh sins still get involved, but, but Holy Spirit, we are feeling and sensing you lead like we've never heard. And God, the many other ministry people in our church, the staff, they are experiencing new things. They are seeing you at work like they've never seen before. And I don't believe for a moment that you haven't always been working. We just haven't been watching. And thank you, God, that we haven't been told, well, Grand Prairie, we're done with you. And we're going to go to Dawson Creek or Fort St. John or, or to Hythe because you guys, I'm always telling you, but you're never listening. We, posture-wise, God, want to open up our hands and we want to be doctrinally and biblically sound. That is utterly and absolutely important. In fact, I know that you primarily speak to us in Scripture. But God, forgive us for not hearing your voice and doing what you call us to do because we've got it wrong sometimes. We thought we heard you and we did it and it just was so disappointing. Or maybe, God, you actually wanted us to go through what we experienced. And so, God, would you begin to cause us to be a people that are actually hearing and doing? How the book of James comes to my mind in those words. And, God, we are so good as Christians for making excuses, for coming up with our stories and our hurt and our pain, and we even come up with theology and doctrine to cover up our lack of hearing you. 
So God, move in our midst. And as we begin next Sunday with hearing God, I have such anticipation. It's gonna change, I think, the way Grand Prairie functions. And what makes me even more excited, God, is we have other churches in our city that are on the same path. We have churches in Fairview. We have churches in Fort St. John and Dawson Creek that have said, I am going to start and try to be a revived pastor, hearing the voice of God. And I'm going to help my people and my leaders move in the same way. Oh, God, our country so desperately needs us to be revived. We need revival. We need personal transformation. God, help us to quit looking across the aisle, across the street, to that Christian, saying, well, he's so bad, so I'm okay. God, help us to focus on us and what you want to do in my heart. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray these things. Amen.